I was just out on a walk. I tend to go about this time every day. And um, I just love the wide open sky here. We don't get that a whole lot in um, Massachusetts. There's a lot of hills. And um, it always makes me think of emptiness because of just the space. There's so much space. You guys are really lucky that you have that wide open sky. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today, about sky mind and love, my two favorite subjects. And I'm going to start with um, with a quote that I that I not uncommonly end a talk with, that I decided I was going to start with it to frame the talk. It's from the book called After the Ecstasy, Then the Laundry by Jack Cornfield. And this is a, I think it's a senior lama or senior teacher describing their practice. In many ways, the spiritual transformation of the past decades is different than I had imagined. I'm still the same quirky person with much the same style and ways of being. So that on the outside, I'm not that amazingly transformed, enlightened person that I first hoped to become. But there's a big transformation inside. Years of working with my feelings and family patterns and temper have softened the way I hold them all. In the struggle to know and deeply accept my life, it has been transformed, and my love has grown larger. If my life was like a crowded garage where I kept bumping into the furniture and judging myself, now it's like I've moved into an airplane hangar with the doors left open. I've got the old stuff there, yet it doesn't limit me like before. I'm the same, yet now I'm free to move about, even to fly. So we do enter practice hoping that we'll get rid of some of the more unsavory parts of our personality. But what we hear here is that what changes is the context that we hold it in. And that uh, before, maybe uh, that stuff, it's so crowded, right? Our mind and heart feels so crowded, like a stuffy garage. We can't move around. Um, now that stuff is in this huge airplane hangar. No problem. We can move around. Maybe it's in the corner there. Maybe sometimes it's in the middle. But there's plenty of room to move. And so the freedom is, is, is that ability to, move, to be able to move around even when the stuff is still there. So how do we get to that kind of mind? Heart. That's what we'll talk about today. So Chaz's talk yesterday, I think, oh boy, is going to be the expression of the um, retreat. <laughs> Man, that one stuck. <laughs> Every time I go to a meal now, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> but there's something about noticing the old boy that changes things, too. It's, it's not... Um, you know, it's lighter. And and you and I can see that we can see, right, that 
the kind of glommy nature of the old boy. It, it seems like it might be good, but we, we see that it takes us out of ourselves, right? And that we um, are um, glomming onto something for our happiness. And seeing that uh, creates a little bit of room. And so when I say, oh boy, I'm kind of laughing at myself, actually, is what I'm doing when I, when I, you know, when the meals come and I'm like, oh boy, it's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> there it is, right? It's not a problem when I notice it. Yeah, when I don't notice it, well, then I'm, I'm limited by it. But when I notice it, it's it's just it's just in the airplane hanger there. <laughs> but anyway, his talk too, you know, was about how we kind of glom on to things, so we get attached to things, and um, you know, he's talking about food and, and then sense contact, and then our minds. When our minds get really sticky, kind of trying to plan how everything's going to be perfect, and. Um, yeah, kind of the, the, the limiting nature of being um, run by all that. So I'm going to frame it in a, in a kind of different way. And maybe, maybe I was thinking maybe it's even a little predecessor to, to Chaz's talk. So I want to talk about um, identification and non-identification. So what happens is we have the sense contact. Which could, that's all, Chaz was, that was the middle one of what he's talking about, but all three were about sense contact. <laughs> so we have sense contact, it arises, there's a feeling tone, it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, it hits us, experience hits us as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And um, we identify with it, we, we glom onto it in some way, um, so, so that we can own it, so we can know what to do with it so we can manage it. And then from that, we get this, in the teachings of dependent origination, what we get is this kind of increasingly small space. It goes from like grasping, preference or wanting to grasping to attachment to clinging, you know, it's getting smaller. And that, that's, that's basic suffering, right? Is that, that cramped space. And so how do we release that cramped space? So I'm going to talk today about the identification, and then tomorrow morning we'll talk more about um, feeling tone, the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And it's kind of clear as this identification Often for us, it's clearest with emotions or thoughts or body sensations. But it can, um, it happens with any sense door, and we'll have some other examples beyond that. So we're going to try something new today. We're going to look at my iPad, because I changed my talk subject, so I don't have my papers with me. <laughs> A common acronym um, that floats around uh, Buddhist circles and secular Dharma circles is RAIN, R-A-I-N, as a um, mindfulness kind of paradigm, mindfulness structure. RAIN standing for recognize, 
allow or accept interest or investigation, and non-identification is the fourth one. Now, some teachers have popularized it, especially Tara Brock, changing non-identification to nurture. And nurture is important and helpful. But, oh, non-identification, we can't leave that out. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, that's actually the most important one of the four. And um, it's not always understood, so that's another reason why I want to go into it today. So many of you have heard this acronym. I don't think it's too new. But the first three, we recognize what's happening. We allow or accept it, make room for it. Um, we get interested in it. We uh, investigate very somatically, not investigate like think about, but investigate by moment to moment being with it. And what sometimes happens with those first three, if we don't have the non-identification, we those first three, um, we can solidify our experience through those first three. We can kind of over-own our experience. And uh, the non-identification brings in the space. It's what makes the airplane hangar. So we want to make sure we understand it. We can take those first three and we can be like, oh, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. And non-identification is um, not doing that. <laughs> not not over-owning. I say over-owning experience because there's a way we do need to own experience, and I'll talk about that. But overowning it is when we make it who we are. The Buddha taught that suffering comes from identifying with our experience and then um, feeling like we have to manage the world. So an emotion comes along, <laughs> anger, let's say anger arises, and um, the feeling within us is, for example, this is who I am. I'm an angry person. And then, from that, we feel like, well, we have to manage that. Like, it's not okay to be an angry person, so I have to stuff this, or I have to... Um, or we might identify with anger. We get so lost in the story that we start believing all the story, and then we, um, we act it out, right? So... Um, So when we identify with an experience, we take it personally, and we make the world more and more solid, you could say. So let's say a, a knee pain comes along. What's happening, it's um, you know, a bunch of different sensations. They're changing, they're rising, they're passing away. When we identify with it, so we kind of glom onto it, and then we're like, oh, my knee, oh, such bad shape. Um, mm, wow, uh, maybe I'm going to need knee surgery, or it's possible that I'm going to become um, crippled and never be able to walk like I like to walk. And we, right? It just gets more and more solid and more and more real. That's identifying with knee pain. And what's happening is there's these changing sensations. 
Now, on one level, I do have to own that this is my knee. You can see I no longer sit cross-legged. I do have knee pain. I have arthritis, and I can't sit cross-legged. If I sat cross-legged like that, I would be crippled. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I have to own it that much to know what to do with it. If anger arises, we have to own it enough to say, look, this is my responsibility now. It's here. Tignan Han says, there's a screaming baby in the room, it's your baby and you've got to take care of it. <laughs> um, so, so that level, yes, but, oh, I'm such an angry person. Or, I'm never, you know, I'm going to need, need, need replacement surgery and it's going to go wrong and I'll never, you know, I'll be crippled or something. Um, that's over-owning, that's adding all the extra... So, so we make the world solid through identification. And that's why, that's why we do it. We do it to make the world solid so we can decide what to do with the world and um, with the world or with what comes up with our experience. And yet if we're bound to that, um, it all, it's all um, automatic conditioning and there's not a lot of freedom. We want to be able to take up owning something when it's appropriate, but not overdo it. So let's try a little experiment. I might have done this with some of you before, with an emotion. So just get comfortable. Think of an emotion that you easily feel. Afflictive might be easier, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be. We'll keep using angry since we are there. So just say to yourself, I am angry, or I am fearful, or I am lonely, or whatever the emotion that's easy. I am blank. See how that feels in the body, heart, mind. Now switch and say, I feel angry, or I feel afraid, I feel lonely. What happens when you do that? And then try Anger is present, or anger is happening, or this is what anger feels like. Fill in your favorite afflictive emotion. What's that like? What does that feel like? Okay, so come out of your afflictive emotion. <laughs> what was the difference between the three? Does anybody want to say anything they might have noticed? That, that there's a possibility, possibility of change. Yeah. How did they change for you? Um, I guess it was just that there was a possibility. You felt a possibility yeah. for change. Great. Space. Yeah. 
more space in the late, latter ones. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. I noticed when I thought I am angry, I was like brow furrowed. Tight. Opened up a little bit, curious, uh huh? Like I physically changed. <laughs> huh, your body felt different, right? More open. Yeah, yeah. More curious, I like that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Less kind of tangled and more like, huh, what is this? <laughs> Anybody else? Anything else you want to say? Yeah. Softer. Softer with each one. Great. Yeah. Some space for agency. Space for agency, ah, so not so tracked. More room to maybe figure out or respond in a wise way. Great, you guys just did the Dharma talk, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but that what we what I was doing, I think it was pretty obvious, was um, you know at trying to get you to identify early on, and then um, each one is kind of a little less identification. And what you see is that. Right, identifying is trapped, tight, trapped in our conditioning, tight, um, not so much space, not so much choice, or, and then non-identification, things um, open up, there's more freshness in the mind, curiosity, freshness, there's more agency, there's more choice and more space, yeah. And then what you also um, see is that we can do that, <laughs> that we know that experience. We just um, start to remind ourselves of it more often and have more um, access. We're still acknowledging that there's an emotion present. We're not denying it and getting rid of it. We're holding it differently. We're not holding it like that, but, but like that. You could even say, too, that this kind of paralyzed, active, and um, receptive, because there is this kind of, when we identify, we're doing something, right? There's this, oh. And when we're not identifying, there's, there's actually less doing. There's more receptivity and allowing of the experience. So when we identify, it evolves into, develops into management. <coughs> and a lot of that management has um, as its basis resistance to pleasant things ending and um, a resistance to unpleasant things arising and that things change and that they can't be controlled or stopped. So we want to get a good grip on things. <laughs> good grip. <laughs> so we grip them so that, that we can um, make them so manageable. We take them very seriously. We take life seriously when there's a lot of identification happening. And so it's this kind of clenching and micromanaging life. And um, it's kind of a full-time job. <laughs> And it takes a lot of our life force, really, to do this, our precious life force. And the thing is that, you know, evolutionarily speaking, it's not a bad strategy, you know, for survival. But we're trying to see if we can, like, add in options that go beyond um, 
hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary conditioning. <laughs> yeah. So with non-identification, we, just, we don't go through the whole process of creating a reality and then trying to manage it. It's a great energy saver. Um, when we don't identify with things, we hold them with more um, spaciousness and recognize that they're just part of nature. They're part of um, being human. There's a softening there, right? The word softening came up. It's like... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.